Hey, welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and to trust Him more. To keep up with us or to get more information, visit CelebrationChurchLive.com. Good morning, Celebration Church! Oh, come on, the first service did you better. Come on, good morning, Celebration Church! That was pretty good. That was pretty good. That was on par with the first. Man, it is so good uh, to be here. Um, thankful that you guys um, came out on New Year's Eve. Of all the Sundays you could be here, um, it's easy to take a Sunday off, especially when it's a Sunday like today. And I think it says a lot about you that you are in the house of God on a day like today. Um, I think even before the year gets here, you are setting the year off right. You're setting the trajectory uh, for where God is going to take you. And I'm excited to be with you this morning. Uh, if we have not had the privilege of meeting yet, my name is Keenan Clark. I am currently over all of our young adult ministry um, for the next little bit until we leave to Tennessee. So as those of you who don't know, my wife and I, the next month, literally tomorrow is inside of January, um, are going to move to Tennessee. The, we'll be here as long as it takes for my nephew to be born. Come on, Sutton Loy Clark. We're waiting on him. Don't want to miss that for the world, uh, but my wife and I will be transitioning to Tennessee, excited to, to see all that God is going to do and excited to see all that God is going to continue to do here in San Angelo. I do want to say this. I am a son of this house, um, and I will be back often. I know a lot of people are like, man, we're never going to see you again. That's not true. Uh, we will be back often. I will come back and preach regularly on Sunday mornings. We'll do some young adult stuff. It'll be great, um, but very excited about all, what all all 2024 has for our family, our ministry, but also for you. Uh, with that being said, you got me this morning. Is that cool? Yeah, yeah. Half of you are like, are like, yeah, it's cool. Some of you are like, oh, I'm not really sure yet. Not really sure. You'll find out. All right. Um, if you have a Bible, I'd like you to go with me to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews. Um, to me, it's the book that proves God loves coffee. Hebrews. If God didn't love coffee, he wouldn't put it in there. Okay, Hebrews, these are the jokes, folks. These are the jokes. I can say these now. I'm a dad, I'm a dad. Hebrews chapter 12, I want you to go with me. Hebrews chapter 12. If you don't like that, you're gonna hate this. You're gonna hate it, okay? Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verses one through two, we'll start reading. It says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Zero in on this part with me. And let us run with endurance. With endurance. With endurance. The race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us run with endurance the race that is set for us. This morning, I want to preach a simple message that I think is really going to help you close one chapter and start the next one. Close one year and begin the next one. I want to preach a message I'm simply calling this. How's your pace? How's your pace? Do we have any cross-country runners in the house? Anybody ever run cross-country? Okay, you heard the, some of you, most of you heard the Lord and chose not to run cross-country. The rest of us were deceived by the wicked one, okay? We were deceived. Some of you are like, yo, I only run if there is a bear behind me, and that's why we live in West Texas. There ain't no bears out here. Praise the Lord, all right? But I, I got deceived into running cross-country when I was in high school, and I will never forget uh, my first year, my sophomore year, running uh, cross country. I will never forget my first cross country meet. I had never run in a meet before. Up until now, I had only ran circles around Santa Fe golf course because that was where we practiced. Okay. I would want run lap, one run, one lap, run a second lap, and then finish at that Sonic that's over there by Santa Fe. And so we'd run, run, run. And I was used to that. Okay. Now there's really no competition at practice. It's just trying to build some stamina, trying to make sure your muscles can go the difference. Uh, game day was completely different. Meat day was completely different. I got to my meat wearing an outfit that was far too tight, far too tight, uh, but it was what they gave me. It was what they gave me to wear. And I'm sitting there on the starting line and I'm waiting and every one of us are just packed in there, like packed 
tight. And I'm waiting for this gun to go off. And finally the gun goes off. Now I had been used to my coach being like, and my, 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 my coach had this deep country accent. His name is Mills Carraway. If you know who he is, he was my cross country coach. Love him to death. But he'd go, Kanan, I want you to run one lap, two laps and finish that Sonic over yonder. All right. That's what I was used to. And then I'd be like, all right, coach. And I'd start running. I get, you know, cold play in my earbuds or whatever I was listening to. I was used to this being kind of just like this nice little, even borderlining lethargic run. All right. That gun goes off and all of those dudes run like their life depends on it. I mean, they take off in a full sprint. I'm like, you guys realize this is a 5k. Okay, it's a 5K, but they are running as if someone is chasing them with an ax. So I just take off running as fast as I can. I am dumping all my reserves. I'm running as quickly as possible. And it wasn't long, probably about 300 yards in, uh, your boy started getting winded, okay? And it wasn't the wind of the Holy Ghost. It was the lack of wind in my lungs, okay? It was the lack. The Lord was not on this race. And I was running, and it wasn't long before I found myself at the back of the pack. Literally, no word of a lie, covered in everyone else's dust. Literally, this is West Texas. They're stirring up dust as they're running, and I am running through it at the very back. I was completely dirty. And I come in almost dead last in this, in this race. And I remember I'm, I'm dejected. I'm distraught. I'm not happy. And I walk over to Mills Carraway and I say, coach, I think you put me in the wrong race. Like, yo, I didn't sign up for this. Like, I think I am in the wrong sport. Okay. I am in the wrong race. I had a bad race coach. And he looked at me and he said, Keenan, I'll never forget his words. He said, Keenan, you're not in the wrong race. You had the wrong pace. It's not that you're in the wrong race, it's that you ran the right race at the wrong pace. And I know it rhymes, so you could think I'm just doing some preacher thing, but it's true. The right race at the wrong pace can begin to feel like you're running the wrong race entirely. And I think that there are some of you this morning that the enemy has begun because of how tired you are, how unable you feel, how ill-equipped you look and assess yourself to be. The enemy has convinced you, I'm in the wrong marriage. Maybe it's not that you're in the wrong marriage. Maybe you are in the right marriage, but you're running in the right marriage at the wrong pace. Maybe it's not that you started the wrong business. Maybe you started the right business, but you're going about it the wrong way. Maybe it's that you didn't have the wrong kids. Maybe you got the right kids, but you are not stewarding them at the right pace. So many times we can begin to think, I just got the wrong life, God. I was born in the wrong time. It's like you were born right when God, do you understand that no one sneaks into the earth? God speaks you into the earth. You are divinely orchestrated by God. You may have been an oops to your parents, but you were a by God. God is responsible for your existence and he is responsible for setting the pace. You are responsible for letting him. And maybe it's that you're running the right race. You're just doing it at entirely the wrong pace. And this is why I love Hebrews chapter 12. Because the writer of Hebrews says this, let us run. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just say, let us run the race that is set before us. He says, let us run with endurance. This is saying it doesn't just matter that you run. It matters how you run. Some of you think you can run this race by your own rules. You can run this race at your own desire. This ain't Uber. You don't get to work when you want to. This is a race God has called you to run. And if God has called you to it, God is responsible for helping you set the pace. And this morning, listen to me, by the spirit of God, I believe the Lord is going to help some people who had, the ent- had an entirely wrong pace all of 2023 find the right pace in 2024. Thank you, I believe the Lord wants to dial the pace in. Not that it's time to give up. Listen to me, it's not time to back down. It's time to double down. It's time to double down on the things that God has called you to, but we've got to do it at the right pace. 
So the question becomes, how do you find the right pace? And this morning, I want us to look at a particular woman in the pages of, pages of scripture who is going to serve as a bit of like a, a character study, if you will, for how we are to find the right pace for our lives. Now, for those of you guys who are like, man, I wanted to learn about like a, a dude, okay? Why we gotta learn about a woman? This woman has better credentials than you, my man. She's got an entire book of the Bible named after her. What do you got? You're like a junior right here. Okay, that's great, all right? But he ain't no book of the Bible. He don't even know the Bible, all right? She's got an entire book of the Bible named after her. In fact, there are only two women in the entire Bible who have the privilege of having a book named after them. One is Ruth and the other is Esther. Esther. And Esther is going to be our character study today on how to find the right pace for your life. And the thing I want to take you to in this moment is what happens, listen to me, don't miss this. What happens when tragedy tries to set the pace for your life? I think there are a lot of avenues that I could obviously run down right now that you're like, oh, I can think of a lot of things Keenan could throw at us right now that try to set the pace for our, for our lives. I could go, you know, sin is setting the pace for your life. And I'd be right. I could do that. Some of you, sin is, let it, is setting the pace for your life. I could go, you know, some of you, it's distraction is setting the pace of your life. There's a lot of avenues I could run down right now and they would probably all be correct. But there's one avenue in particularly I want to go down and it's this. What happens when it's not necessarily sin and it's not distraction and it's not you comparing yourself to your neighbor. What happens when it's straight up tragedy? What happens when it is circumstances outside of your control? that try to set the pace for your life. And some of you could think, Kenan, um, why are we doing a character study on Esther and opening it with tragedy? Because if you know anything about Esther, your mind automatically goes to Queen Esther. That's where you go, Queen Esther. The lady is a queen. She is a woman of elegance, royalty. She is a big deal. But listen to me, I know her story gets there and we will get there today. But that's not where her story starts. If you look at Esther's origin, you will find that she does not start off as royalty. She starts off. We literally find her. We find her in the pages of scripture. We are introduced to her in the middle of a tragedy. I'll prove it to you. Esther chapter two, verse seven says this. This man, a man by the name of Mordecai, had a very beautiful and lovely young cousin, Hadassah, who was also called Esther. Listen to this part. When her father and mother died. When her mom and dad died. Listen to me, the Bible is putting these two deaths together because they happened at the same time. This was not at one point in her life she lost her dad and then a couple years later she lost her mom. That is still tragic. But this is far more infinitely tragic that somehow, we're not privy to exactly how it happened. But somehow, both her mom and her dad tragically died. And this, to me, is one of the things that will mess your pace up more than anything. I think there's lots of tragedy that can mess you up. But you know why I believe this can mess your pace up more than anything? Because your mom and your dad are there to set the pace. Parents, can I wake you up this morning? You are not there to be Junior's best friend. Say that. Now they should feel loved, they should feel cherished. I like to say to people who I'm like, I tell them I'm in your corner. I like to take it a step further. And I say, man, I'm so in your corner. If someone saw me in your corner, they'd think someone put me in timeout. That's how in your corner I am. Who put Kena's nose in the corner? Your kids should believe that you're in their corner, but they should not think that you're their best friend. They don't rule the roost. You do. There is a hierarchy to this thing. And you are called, mom and dad, to rule your household on behalf of God. Your children have been entrusted to you. They aren't even your kids. I didn't get to choose August. August was entrusted to me. I didn't choose his face. I didn't choose his anatomy. We picked his name. It was the best one we could think of. We love it. We still love it. August Rhodes Clark goes hard in the paint. 
Strong name for a strong kid. But I didn't choose him. I've been entrusted with him. And listen to me, parents, you are called to set the pace for your children's lives. If you think that it is Celebration Church's responsibility to make sure your children grow up to be good, devoted Jesus followers, you are mistaken. We get them for one hour a week. We cannot undo in one hour what you do the rest of the week. We can't. This is why parents can't live a duplistic lifestyle. You can't be on your way to to church cussing your kids out and then get in the church and demand that they raise their hands in worship. It don't work. You know what it raises? A bunch of bitter, young people who deconstruct their faith and and walk away from it entirely. They need the real deal. And this is why you taking your own personal responsibility of following the voice of God matters more than anything. Them watching you burn for the things of God. Them watching you pray. Not just saying, hey, buddy, say your good night, your little nighttime prayers. Say, hey, buddy, why don't you go over to kids' church and worship? Do you worship? Do you set an atmosphere of worship in your home? This is not to breed condemnation. This is to breed vision into your heart to say, hey, there's another way of doing things. There is a higher road and we can choose it. The two people who are there to set the pace for Esther's life have been tragically taken. There's nothing that will mess a pace up more than that. But here's the thing I want to point out to you. Can we throw the scripture back on the screen? Esther chapter two, verse seven. Notice, when her father and mother died, what is that punctuation mark? That's a comma. That ain't a period. And many of us, after a tragic season in our life, are tempted to put a period. I know it's cliche, but it's pertinent this morning. We are tempted to put a period where God wants to put a comma. The spirit of God says, hey, it's not over. I've got more to write. The book continues. But so many of us say, hey, that's it. It's over. That's the pace. When God says, hey, there's more. And notice what was there for Esther. It says this, when her father and mother died, Mordecai adopted her into his family and raised her as his own daughter. You see, when her family was taken from her, look how good God was. He put her in another family. He put her in a new family. This is why I love the the promise we find in Psalm 68. It says this, that God puts the lonely person in a family. We can throw it up and have it just so you can prove I ain't lying. Psalm 68, verse six. God places lonely in family. Can I remind you this morning that this is not some building dedicated to a 501c3 organization that has the title church attached to it. This is not that. This is the house of God and in it occupies the family of God. I don't know if you realize that you thought you were just coming to church this morning. What you came to is an adoption agency because we're ready to adopt you into the family of God. This isn't a bunch of staunch religious people who want to look down their nose at the sinful. This is a family that wants to rally around the most depraved, the most beaten up, the most forgotten, the most sacrilegious among us. That's what this house is dedicated to. It's a family. You belong here is what I'm trying to say. There's a seat at the table for you is what I'm trying to say. Man, it's such a privilege. Beth and I will be around town out to eat at various places and I'll see somebody looking at us and I can always tell the look. And they'll come up to us and they give us this look and they're like, hey, I love your church. Happens all, what a privilege. Happens all the time. Man, I love your church. And I'll ask him, you go there? Like, yeah, I'm like, oh, you mean our church. It's it's our church. This is our family. And what I'm trying to tell you is, listen to me, if you're lonely, it's time to buy into the family. Because the family is ready to buy in to you. We're ready to rally around you. There is something healing about the body of Christ, that the body heals the body, that the, minist- that the body ministers to the body. Yes. Such a thing called the priesthood of the believer. 
This means you don't have to have somebody like me who preaches and carries the title pastor to come and lay hands on you. Any good old saint sitting in the same row as you can lay their hands on you and command demonic forces to take their claws off your family, to heal your body, to restore your mind, to tell the devil to stop messing with your money. Any one of us can do it. It's the family of God. And God this morning, I feel it so strong. He is setting lonely people. He is setting lonely people into family. The question is, will you let God set you? Because the family is there to help set the pace. You don't have to be stopped by a tragic start. Let the family come and do what only the family can do. All of a sudden, Esther is adopted by Mordecai. But in the background, as you read the book of Esther, you find that there's this king named Xerxes. And Xerxes is a very wealthy and very prideful individual. So much so, he takes 180 days and parades his miscellaneous kingly stuff in front of all the land. Literally, that's roughly six months, folks. I did the math by asking Google. How long is 180 days? Roughly six months is what Google told me. It said roughly six months. I'm like, wait, Google can't even be exact. (laughs) Roughly six months, he's parading his stuff in front of all the land. It takes an arrogant individual to take, I'm going to take the next six months of my life and just parade my stuff. So as soon as those 180 days are over, he then says, hey, homies, even my cronies, gather around. We're going to have a P-A-R-T-Y party, okay? They get together and he and his boys start to throw down. And literally the king makes a decree that there is no limit on the alcohol at this party. Read your Bible. He says there's no limit. Each man can have what he desires. And when all he and his boys get good and sloppy drunk, get a little liquid courage, King Xerxes pipes up. He said, hey, somebody better go get the queen because I got one last dime piece I ain't shown off yet. He said, I paraded all my stuff and I forgot the peace daily resistance. Like, bring her out. And her name, it ain't Quest, it ain't Esther yet. It's Vashti. And the king says, hey, get Vashti down here. Tell her to strut her stuff from my boys. So a servant scurries off and knocks on Vashti's door and says, uh, Queen Vashti, uh, King Xerxes has asked that you, in quotes, come and strut your stuff, okay? I'm not talking about your stuff. He, he, talked, he, he talked about your stuff. And Vashti had to be the original Texas woman because she says, nah. Slam that door. That's why we're taking Beth out of Texas. Like, you need to be a Tennessee girl. You got too much no in you. Tell me no all the time. You will learn to mind. I'm just playing. I will learn to mind in Jesus' name. This is the last sermon you will ever hear from me. I'm just kidding. Had to be the original Texas woman. Slams the door in the servant's face. Says, no, tell him to think again. I, I'm, I got stuff, but I ain't strutting it. So all of a sudden, the servant comes up to King Xerxes. You can imagine kind of like the, the waiter does to you after you've given them their card. They go, uh, sir, your request has been declined. <laughs> declined. You know, you've never heard that? Me neither. Me neither. <laughs> send my savings. Send my savings. <laughs> Move some stuff over. We've all been there. She's declined your request, O oh king. Xerxes loses it. Long story short, Xerxes now has to do what many husbands who get together with their drinking buddies have to do. He's got to find a new wife. He's divorced. She's, they're separated after this moment. And all of a sudden, in order for him to find a new wife, his buddies pipe, and pipe up and they say, hey, here's the plan. Have a pageant of all the fairest, most beautiful, young, elegant maidens in the land. So you can survey the cream of the crop and pick for yourself the next queen. So he says, this sounds like a brilliant move. So all of a sudden, they begin to host this pageant. And this is where Esther creeps back into the story. Esther is one of these young fair maidens in the land who gets taken from her family and shoved into this pageant. What I'm trying to get you to see is this. She was ripped away from her parents put in a brand new family and then ripped away from them. Two scenarios she didn't choose to walk through. What happens when you got to walk through a season you didn't sign up for? 
I have found this. Life is far more about how you respond to what happens to you than it is really about what happens to you. Life is how you decide to respond. We all go through it. The Bible says this, God causes it to rain on the just and the unjust. We all experience the same storms, but we are not all founded upon the rock. How you choose to respond makes all the difference. She's whisked away from her family again, put in this pageant. And it's a year long process from being ripped away from Mordecai before she ever even makes the acquaintance of the king. There's a year. In fact, let me just prove it to you. Let me prove it to you. Esther chapter two, verse 12 says this. Before each young woman was taken to the king's bed, hello. She was given the prescribed 12 months of beauty treatments. Listen to this, how they break the 12 months down. The first six months with oils of myrrh. The second six months, the following six months with special perfumes and ointments. This is a year long process. The first six months is full of oils of myrrh. Follow me here. The second six months is perfumes and ointments. If you're not already picking up what I am putting down, let me break it down for you. All throughout the pages of scripture, when you find oil, perfume and ointment mentioned, it is speaking of anointing. Yes, sir. Anointing. I'm telling you right now, the same eyes that could have looked at this, this year long process as annoying could also look at it with eyes of the spirit and say, this all, these are the ingredients of the anointing. I'm telling you right now, my man, if you will submit to the process of God, you will come out on the other side anointed. You will come out on that other side anointed. I know it seems like a dark hidden season. It seems like things aren't coming to fruition yet. You have haven't had your appointment yet. You haven't had your court date yet. Things keep getting pushed back. The medical diagnosis keeps getting worse. The doctors say they still haven't found the transplant, but if you will submit to the process, you'll come out anointed. That's what you need. You need the oil. You need the perfume. You need the ointment because you ain't nothing until that gets on your life. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of David. David in 1 Samuel, the prophet Samuel comes to the house of Jesse looking for the next king of Israel to anoint. Saul has royally screwed up. Saul royally screws up over and over and over, as does David. There's a massive difference though between the two. Saul tries to make everything right in his own mind while David continually gets back on his knees and says, God, if you take anything from me, just don't let it be your spirit. Take my palace, take my throne, take my crown, but don't you dare take your Holy Spirit from me. That's the difference. They come to David as a 15 year old rejected shepherd boy. Samuel pours oil on his head and anoints him as the king of Israel. You know when he was coronated king? 15 years later. God says, I'm gonna pour oil on your head and see if you can walk around with nothing but oil on your head for 15 years before I trust you with a crown on your head. Can God trust you with the oil is what I'm saying. Can God trust you with the process? that says, God is leading me somewhere. Can I just tell you right now, I believe this so strong. I know there's a process. I know so many of you, you are hammering away in the place of prayer. Some of you, there's a fast coming up just around the corner and you already know one of the prayer points during this fast is wayward, backslidden children, family. Can I tell you the process is leading to your entire household being saved? That is a promise of God. You will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. He is calling wayward sons and daughters home. I'm telling you it's going to happen, but you got to submit to the anointed process. Say, God, come hell or high water. I'm after you. I want the oil. You know why this church makes a difference? It's not because we have some good guitars and we try to have some slick marketing and we try to make sure our speeches are relevant. You know why this church is making a difference? We got oil. We got oil. It's sad today that too many churches have LED screens, massive parking lots, and no oil. I don't know about you. I want the oil, not just on our church. I want the oil on my family. I want the oil on my son. And the process, I know it seems laborious. It's like, what good is oil? What good is perfume? What good is ointment? It leads to anointing.
She had to submit to the process. And so do you. So all of a sudden during this process, Mordecai, her cousin, he's introduced to another man by the name of Haman. Please hang with me. Mordecai is introduced to an evil, maniacal, diabolical even man by the name of Haman. Haman is basically the right-hand man to King Xerxes. Haman has an ax to grind bone to pick with the Jewish people. He hates the Jewish people. So much so, this evil, maniacal, diabolical, as I've already said, man devises a hellish scheme to try to annihilate the Jewish people off the face of the earth secretly in his heart. This is what he does. Haman begins to devise a plan. Here's what Haman doesn't realize. Esther's Jewish. And the reason he doesn't know it is because Mordecai had wisdom, Esther didn't, and said, hey, don't tell anyone you're a Jew. Sometimes the, the leadership in your life asks you to stay hidden for a season and it's for your good. It's not that they're embarrassed of you. It's not that they think you're not called. It's not that they think you're not anointed. It's to protect the anointing. Can God trust you with the hidden season? He says, hey, Esther, I need you to hide this fact because he knows there's an evil man who hates the Jews. And all of a sudden, Haman's plan comes to full focus. He's going to have all the Jews slaughtered on one particular day. And Mordecai, Esther's cousin, gets wind of it. So Mordecai comes to Esther, who at this point, cat's out of the bag, King Xerxes picked her. He's like, yo, dang, you got the oil, you got favor, I pick you. That's what happens on the other side of an anointed process. Favor is on your life. Favor, by the way, is unfair. (laughs) Favor ain't fair. It isn't. You get the oil on your life, I'm telling you things that shouldn't happen to you will start happening to you. And I'm talking about good things that shouldn't happen to you. You'll get promotions you shouldn't have. You'll get houses you shouldn't be able to afford. People just give you cars. And that's just the monetary stuff. I'm talking about there will be a deep reservoir of the favor of God. The presence of God will saturate your home. You won't have to wait until Sunday to get into the presence of God, but you'll walk in your living room, fall on your knees and have a third heaven encounter with the Lord on a regular old Tuesday nine. That's what will happen if you get the oil on your life. Man, I feel the oil. So Esther got the oil and she got picked. So Mordecai comes up and he says, hey, there's this man. His name's Haman and he's going to kill us all. And in this moment, you fear, you see it, fear grips Esther's heart. She wants to shrink back. She'd really love in this moment to plug her ears, la la la, this thing, stick her head in the sand. Just hope, listen to me, it's no doubt Esther's hope in this moment is just like, I can let God deal with it. it. God will fix it. God will be God and God will just do something. He don't need me. He'll just do something. He's God. That's exactly what's going through Esther's mind in this moment. Or else why would Mordecai give her this advice? Esther chapter two, or excuse me, Esther chapter four. Verses 13 through 14 say this. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arrive from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, the most famous verse in all the book of Esther. And who knows, but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. What I'm trying to get you to see is Mordecai is reminding Esther of what I want to remind you of. It's that finding your pace requires your participation. Finding your pace requires you to participate. This idea that if it's meant to be, it'll be, is a lie straight from the pit of hell. It may sound great in a Florida Georgia Line song, but it don't live and it ain't Bible. Now I am not saying we don't serve a sovereign God. I am not bashing or coming against the sovereignty of the Lord, but God in his sovereignty has given you free will. That's why Deuteronomy says, literally God says this in the book of Deuteronomy, I have laid before you this day blessings, curses, life, and death, but oh, that you would choose life. You have the choice. If it was all up to God, you wouldn't have a choice. God's saying, I need you to participate. 
I've laid before you life, death, blessing, cursing, but oh, that you would choose life. It requires you to participate because listen to me. If you don't hear anything I say today, listen to me. God does what you can't do, not what you won't do. God is responsible for what you are unable to do, not what you are unwilling to do. There is a massive cataclysmic difference between being unable and being unwilling. God can't do anything with an unwilling heart, but he can move all day long through an unable vessel who says, God, I'll give you my five loaves and two fish. I know it don't seem like a lot. I don't think there's much that can come from this, but what I have, I give unto thee. God can do anything through a heart that's unable but willing, but God can't do anything for a heart that's able but unwilling. God's responsible for that which you cannot do, not that which you won't. And Mordecai is saying, hey, it's gonna require you to participate. Notice what he says. He says, if you, if you choose to stay silent, help will arise from another place, but you will not escape. Can I tell you right now? Parents, if you stay silent, the world will go on. Your children won't die, but they will not become the people you're, they're called to be. If you don't stand up, do you know why? I'm sick and tired of men and women, moms and dads, griping about this generation. Do you know why this generation is this generation? You. Let's be real. Who raised them? What were the standards? And I understand I'm speaking in a blanket statement right now. I understand that there are many men and women under the sound of my voice who are doing their absolute darndest. So if this doesn't apply to you, let it skim over. But if the shoe fits, wear it or kick it off. It's time that the moms and dads take responsibility yes, Lord. for setting the pace and the trajectory for the next generation. You've got to participate in this thing. Yes, He's like, hey, if you don't, God will do something, but it won't be through you. I don't want anyone else running my victory lap in heaven. Come on. Nah, not giving that one up. I don't want anyone else getting the jewel in their crown that belonged to my crown that ultimately wants its place in my crown. I will take that crown off and I will cast it at the feet of Jesus. But I don't want anyone else getting that jewel. I don't want other people giving Jesus a better crown than me because they had more jewels. I want to give God everything I can possibly give him and it requires your participation. So all of a sudden, Mordecai drops the gauntlet. You're gonna do something? And this is what Esther says. She says this in Esther chapter four, verses 15 through 16. She says this, then, sin, then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will fast as you do. Notice what Esther's saying. She says, okay, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna walk in the pace that God's calling me to, but notice it's gonna require a godly community. Finding your pace requires a godly community. What I'm trying to say is you can't run your race alone. You can't live out the totality of the call of God on your own. You know why? God would never call you to do anything alone because my Bible says it is not good that man should be alone. God will always call you to something so big you can't do it by yourself. And if your dream is accomplishable by the work of your fingers, it is too small. Someone once told me, man, I love this advice. They said, Kenan, dream a dream so big, other people's dreams get to come true by living inside your dream. You're making other people's dreams come true by them getting to be a part of your dream coming true. That's what God's called you to. Dreaming something that actually takes him and the people he's placed around you. A godly community. But here's where I really want you to fine tune this thing. She doesn't just say, hey, get a bunch of people putting out good feelers for me. Sending vibes this way. Even she doesn't just leave it at, get some people to pray. She says, you and all the Jews who are in Susa need to fast for me. 
She calls them to a fast. And then she says, I'm not just asking you to do it. Me and my maids are gonna fast along with you. I know there are a lot of people under the sound of my voice who tomorrow you will begin a beginning of the year fast. If you are wise at all, you will begin a beginning of the year fast, setting the year off by setting aside the pleasures of this world, setting aside the pleasures of temporal things in order to get an assignment and vision and clarity from heaven. You're, if, you're, if you're wise, you're gonna do that. And in order to help you, listen to me. God told me literally two weeks ago, I was going to bed and God said this, Keenan, write a short but stout ebook that people can read all about prayer and fasting. It's one of the things that has marked our ministry, changed the trajectory of our family, literally set me up to be doing what we're doing now. And so many people overlook it. It's near and dear to my heart. And God says, Keenan, you need to release this. And yesterday it came out. So if you'd like, listen to me, if you'd like... I'd love to make that available to you. It's available on my website. You can download it there. It's easy to read. I've had so many people send me messages talking about how they read it in 20 minutes. Somebody read it in one hour. You can literally, it was intended to be read in one sitting where you can get a pretty good knowledge, um, a relevant knowledge of what prayer and fasting is and why it should become a part of your life. But Esther calls the entire community to a place of prayer and fasting. And listen to me. What God is going to do through you, you can't do it committed to the microwave version of Christianity. What God's going to do, you can't do it saying, God, what, what's the bare minimum I can give you and you give me the maximum return? Like, that's not how the kingdom of God works. And somebody asked me, what is a sufficient amount of days to fast? Whatever God tells you. Amen. You're not trying to move God. You're trying to move you. Yes, Lord. That's what fasting does. It doesn't get God on your plan. It gets you on God's plan. It says, I'm going to kill my flesh so that I willfully and joyfully want to do what you call me to do, God, because right now I'm struggling with it. That's what fasting does. It attacks you. It doesn't provoke God. There's way more in the book that you can read about. But it's going to take a godly community. And here's the most gangster thing Esther says in this whole thing. If I could have somebody play behind me, this is where I begin to wind down. The most gangster thing, if I can say that in church, I think Esther says in the whole thing, in fact, let's read it. She says this, Esther chapter four, verse 16. It's the second 16, the rest of verse 16, the second one, the next one, there you go. She says, I will go to the king even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. It'll get more hardcore than that. She says, I'll go. She went from shaking in her boots, wanting to retreat, wanting God to just fix it with her eyes closed and her ears clogged to now saying, if it, if it requires my life on the other side of a fast, if it requires my life, I'll go before the king. And if I perish, I perish. Notice what it says, though it is against the law. Let me break this down for you. Nobody was to come into the court of the king unless the king himself invited you. If you were to do so, it could be certain death. You could literally be killed on the spot for coming into the king's throne room without having been invited. And Esther says this, though it's against the law, though no one says it can be done. I'm doing it. There are things God's going to call you to do. Listen to me that no one, that everyone says it can't be done. It can't be done. Your family can't turn around. Your marriage isn't salvageable. This business idea is not profitable. You're breaking the mold. God always breaks the mold. God's sick and tired of your mold. God says, if you will listen to me, if you'll heed my words, if you'll go against the grain, though none go with me, still I'll follow. I know no one thinks it can be done this way. I know no one thinks honoring God in 2024 is profitable or useful or even logical. But if my Bible says it, I believe it and that settles it. I got a preach in me this morning. Though it's against the law, what Esther is saying is, in order for me to run at my pace, I need grace. 
I need grace for this pace. Like if God doesn't show up, it ain't going to work. God, if you don't show up in my family, it ain't going to work. God, if you don't show up at my work, it isn't going to work. God, if you don't give me the words to speak, I feel this unction to go share my faith with a superior. And if you don't give me the exact prophetic words to say when I open my mouth, it could cost me my job. And God says, go out on the limb. There's fruit out there. Some of you ain't never found no fruit because you don't want to go out on the limb. God's saying, trust me. Come out where only I would ever come for you. It's going to require grace to do what God is calling you to do. What God is doing in our ministry, it makes no sense for us to be from and rooted in San Angelo, Texas. And I'm not saying that's why we're moving. We're moving because God's called us to, but God has done extraordinary things. He said, what good can come from Nazareth? The only thing we can call good came from Nazareth. Grace defies the odds. Grace beats logic. Grace always overcomes addiction. It always overcomes secular humanism. I don't care. Man, I feel like I'm prophesying to some parents today. I don't care what kind of crap they are sticking in your kid's head in that secular university. Grace can overcome it. Don't you quit fasting. Don't you quit praying. Don't you quit planting the seed of the word of God in their heart. They will come home. It can overrule and overturn their sexual deviancy. I believe it's some, this morning, some parents who have had children confused about their sexual identity, you will see it straightened. That's right. Grace will straighten it. Yes. And it may, it may not be the first thing grace straightens, but grace will eventually straighten it. Woo! I'm glad I came to church today. It requires, it requires the grace of God to run at the pace of God. And the last thing is this, listen to me. Finding your pace puts the enemy in his place. Finding your pace puts the enemy in his place. We see this on full display. Esther comes before the king and the king has favor upon her. He gives her what he would give no one else. And he says, I'll give you up to half of my kingdom. What you want, girl? And she says, I'd like just a private meeting with you and Haman. Would you come to my section of the palace? I'll prepare a banquet for you. And he says, absolutely. So that night they go over there. He says, what might I do for you? She says, uh, come again tomorrow night. Sorry, what she says. Let's do this again tomorrow. I don't know if she got cold feet. Like it was scary. She's like, come again tomorrow. We'll have another banquet. So the next night, Haman, King Xerxes show up to Esther's place. There's a banquet prepared. And once again, while everybody is sitting there reclined, King Xerxes says, Esther, what am I to do for you? I'll give you up to half my kingdom. And Esther says this, oh, king, I ask but one thing for my life and for the life of my family and my people. And King Xerxes gets indignant. He says, what? Who would dare threaten the life of my queen, let alone try to touch her family? And she says this, your Bible says this. She says, your wicked servant, Haman. He's been in your ear and it's costing you your marriage. Some of you, the advice you are taking is costing you your marriage. You don't even realize they're polluting you. King Xerxes had no idea listening to Haman's schemes and and dreams for annihilating the Jews was going to affect his own household. He would in the end be condemning his own wife to death. Some of the people you're taking advice from, the self-help books, the little YouTubers that you're allowing to speak into you, they're the very reason you need speaking to. Son, that you check your circle. Check your input. You need to safeguard who you let speak into your life. Don't let some just good idea. I know I've rhymed a few times, but don't just listen to me because I rhyme. Don't just listen to it because I'm yelling and I'm passionate and I cry while I do it. Listen to it because the book backs it up. If anything I say is not backed up by this book, throw it out. Get rid of it. This and this alone should be speaking and leading your home. She says, it's your wicked servant, Haman. He's trying to kill us. And here, long story short, this is where I'll land the plane. The king finds out that Haman had set up a pole to have Esther's cousin Mordecai impaled on. That's the way the New, the, the New International Version says it. Impaled on a pole. It's 50 cubits high. 
and he says this, hey, that pole you intended for Mordecai, I'm having you impaled on it. He literally says the, the, the torture tool you intended for her family, you yourself will meet your end on. You know what this is a picture of to me? The gospel. This is the gospel. That on the very day, on the very cross, on the hill of the skull, that the enemy thought he had killed the very king of glory. He himself was sentencing himself to death. Little did he know the cross was the greatest heist there ever was. The greatest scandal there ever was. The greatest switch and bait there ever was. The very thing the enemy tried to use to take Jesus out, Jesus used to take him out. That's why there's no better message on the planet. The gospel never gets old. You'll find it on every page of the Bible. If you'll just take a look, I'm telling you this morning, if you would submit to God, the very thing the enemy has used and intended to take you out, the enemy will find himself taken out with. And right now, just for a moment of privacy and concentration, I want to give anybody under the sound of my voice a moment to say yes to this Jesus. If you would, but bow your head and close your eyes. If you'd say, Keenan, you're preaching to me this morning. I need this word, any facet of it, but especially if you would say, Keenan, I need a new pace. Or you would say, Keenan, I need Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of my life. Or maybe you'd even say, Keenan, I simply just need to rededicate my life today. I need to get 2024 squared away with the Lord. I want to go into it in right standing with God. If you'd say, Keenan, I needed this word and I, by faith, am grabbing onto it. Would you raise your hand right now so I know who I'm praying for this morning? Hands going up all over this auditorium. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Lord, I thank you right now that it's by your grace, by your grace, not by our own diligence, not by our own do-goodedness, not by our own passions or our own efforts, but Lord, it's by your grace. It's by your spirit, says the Lord of hosts, that we will find our pace in you this year. Lord, I thank you that every scheme of the enemy would be canceled now in the name of Jesus. Lord, I speak to families. I say, turn around. I say, see the son of God shining his face upon thee now in the name of Jesus. I say, it's not over. I say, it's just beginning. I say, a new chapter begins now in the name of Jesus. If anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I thank you, God that you made him who knew no sin to become sin so that you and I might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I thank you for the finished work of the blood of Jesus this morning. May the grace of God flow in this place. May the grace of God flow in their soul. May the grace of God flow in their mind. May it flow in their family yet again. I thank you, Lord, that you are changing the trajectory now. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's put our hands together for what the Lord did this morning. Would you stand to your feet? We're going to have our prayer partners come forward. They're going to be available to pray for you this morning. Man, listen to me. If you need prayer for anything at all, don't you dare leave. Don't you dare leave without getting prayer. There is power in prayer. This is not just speaking things to the air conditioner. The Lord hears our cries, our petitions. The Bible speaks of the bowls of heaven filling up with the prayers of the saints. You're filling those bowls. Prayer after prayer this morning. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for every person under the sound of my voice. I pray that as they leave here, they leave armed and dangerous with the gospel of peace, ready to take down every power, principality, everything that tries to set itself up against the knowledge of our God. We are, we are equipped and able. You have given us everything in order for life and godliness. And I thank you, Lord, that we'd be aware of the weapons of our warfare that we have. Lord, I thank you that there's grace, there's anointing on each and every single one of us. Help us to contend for what you're calling us for. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. Thank you for coming to church today. Love you. Thanks for letting me yell at you. Thank you for listening to this message from Celebration Church. You can keep up with all that God is doing here at Celebration by following us on Facebook and Instagram.